Life Everlasting is one of the plants that we use for the respiratory system. It's an all-purpose plant. We use it for colds, flus. It's good for the heart because it's good for the mouth. It's good for the oral health. You can use it for baths, good for sores, good for skin. So it's called Life Everlasting for plethora of reasons. One reason is for it gives you longevity for its long life. It slows down the ravaging of aging. So like a turtle, you won't age as fast. Welcome to the Wild Herbs Podcast, where we unpack and uncover the healing properties of wild herbs so you can heal naturally with the plants beneath your feet. I am your host, April Puncelon, wild untamed plant lady, also a botanist and ethnobotanist and herbalist dedicated to teaching you how to heal with plants. If you want to learn edible and medicinal plants, you are in the right place, my friend. In today's episode, you get to meet Jalen Gordon, Gola Bush Medicine Man. And if you're unfamiliar with the Gola culture, the Gola culture is a group of beautiful people, descendants of enslaved Africans that have held on to their wise traditions, their food, wild herb medicine, dance, art, and much more. So let's dive right in so you can get to know Jalen and the Gullah culture. So I'm super grateful and honored because today I'm speaking with Jalen Gordon, one of the last Bush medicine men in America, especially on the East Coast. And Jalen Gordon is a Gullah Bush medicine man, a sweet grass basket sower, an artist, he forages and makes medicine from wild herbs, and he's learned from Gola ancestors. He holds sacred Gola ancestral knowledge and is a keeper of traditional wisdom. So thank you so much, Jalen, for your time and for coming on the Wild Herb Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I love to work with you. Even if it's just um, talking, I like to be in your company because we work well together. I always learn something new and I'm pretty sure vice versa. So yes, definitely, definitely. There's so much we could talk about, but I think it would be really wonderful to hear about how you first realized that you had a special connection with plants. That's always a question I have to think hard on. I don't know why, but I know I was at least seven years old. I used to be in a low country in Bamberg, South Carolina. And see Bamberg, the dirt roads that my grandma lived on, a lot of the plants grew there. As well as my um my my grandma, my mother's side too, but I'll get to that. But in Bamberg in particular, she would have these what they call maypop that would trail all down the sides of the dirt road. Mm. And we used to just eat that all the time. And I, when my grandma specifically would tell us not to eat too much of it because we'll catch a fever. I never knew why. But now as I got older, I realized that if we eat some of the, you know, the premature ones, they'll give you a fever. So learning that, um, being with my dad, we used to, he would have a car, but he liked to walk a lot. He knew the trails. He knew how to get to different places at a shorter time. And I realized that the trails that he was taking were man-made trails, you know. People would walk so much that the grass wouldn't grow. So it would kind of make 
a path. From that path, you may see another path that will merge, you know, to the left. That will take you to another place. So within that, these plants would grow. We would have to go underneath or go through, like, the vines or the, the cobwebs, I would learn, above us would be berries of all types. And I never knew what type they were. You know, I always were intrigued by them. I would always take a slow time walking. They tell me to speed up my path, but I would just be looking at mm. each plant. Things of that sort. That's when I learned that some of the ones I could eat. My dad got sick. He would tell us sometimes, if you see me eat dirt, or if you see me eat the rinds of a lemon, don't be afraid. I didn't understand why he was saying that, but the dirt, like the clay he meant, would give him iron. Kind of a similar thing that they do in Haiti, but sometimes they would eat some of the clay to give them iron. So that was another thing I saw my dad using what was natural, what came from the earth, to recharge him. So I learned through that way. And I had to use the pharmaceuticals all the time. So I learned that through him. Being at my grandma's house on my mom's side, she, to me, her yard was like the garden of evening. She had every single thing. She had plums, she had pecans, she had pear trees, she had the dewberries, the fig trees that would be right next to my grand or to my uncle's garden where he would plant like sugarcane. I would see eggplants, mm. all of that. But see, it was the figs. We used to go and harvest big bowls of dewberries every day before sugar on it. Mm. I didn't realize that I was leading like a foraging team at the time. It was me, my brother, all of my cousins. So it's like 11 other children following us. Everywhere I went, they, they trust me. None of them left or lagged behind. They was followed. And I learned that children, especially, aren't scared. They're fearless. They're full of adventure. They're full of life. And we were so healthy. So healthy. Mm. No, they had no problem. Of course, we went to the doctor all the time because we was probably rough and would scrape ourselves. But as far as the health department, we was healthy. And I learned that, and I hear the elders talk about that a lot, how they were healthy back then. Trips me is what happened. Mm. Why don't you harvest these things anymore? Why don't you go out like you would tell us? That's why I think I'm so big on doing that now. I relive those moments. So not having my, my dad with me anymore, being in the woods with me. You know, being in the woods, it brings him with me, I feel you know, his comfort, I feel his his guidance, even, and protection. So I think that's how I started, being around it and not having it drilled into my head. But I have to say my mom <laughs> is the true reason for me doing this. Her doing home health care in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and then surrounding towns. She was blessed to be around other elders and they would tell her how they would take care of themselves when they didn't have doctors due to racial reasons and or so they had the old knowledge the old ancestral knowledge that their grandma that told them and it passed down like that so 
that's how I was able to get this knowledge because they would get so comfortable with my mom. And they love her like their own daughter. Sometimes they love more than their own children. <laughs> but they would tell her all the secrets on how they used to take care of themselves. And my mom would bring it back to us this, the next, right when she got off work, she'll bring it right back to us. She never knew that I was keeping that in my head. I was putting it into different folders in my, my brain. And I use it to this day now. That's so powerful. these other people. Yes, these are the people who have all been vehicles into this path that I have been going into right now. I love that your fondest memories are walking with your dad outside and being outside in nature with your dad and remembering that. Some of my fondest memories, and I don't have a lot, are walking with my mom on this one trail and there was this sunflower. So it's like when, I think when you are attracted to plants, some of your best memories are when you're outside, especially with your loved ones. And the May Pops, I mean, what an amazing first plant to connect with because that plant, all parts are useful. So that's pretty amazing that she had all the May Pops because I feel like that plant is a, a blessing. Orangeburg County, for those of you who are listening, is in the uh, intercoastal plain and it's a beautiful beautiful county and there's all these freshwater depressional wetlands called carolina bays and it's very special place in south carolina i think orangeburg county is my favorite county in south carolina on the coastal plain it's just magical yes i love it i love it now i have favorite spots there that i go now to this day i look forward to going there because we have this Field right in front of my the street right in front of my mother house, but that's where I call the streets of the rabbits because all the rabbits are just there, like cats, and they play around like they play around the a mullen that grows over there. So it's interesting to just be able to watch that in the street right by my elementary school. There's a range of deers that just play like dogs. The little babies just chase each other's tail behind around the elderberry. It's it's nice. It's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. There's something really special about Orangeburg, for sure. You mentioned your mom's role, nurse in Orangeburg County, and your grandmother was a midwife too. And did she was she a midwife in Beaufort County or Orangeburg County? Well, that's the thing, and I'm so glad I meant to explain that, but I'll explain it right now. My mom is home health care, so she did. Uh, she took care of a lot of elders at their home. So not exactly like a nurse, but she was their home health care provider. My grandma, my great grandma, was my great grandma. My my dad's dad's mother was the, always the the understanding that she was the midwife that gave birth to my dad. She had some knowledge about the the herbs and how it, it does the healing, but she was not the one who birthed my, who who delivered my dad, <laughs> sorry. She was not that. It was actually a woman in the county named Lillian Brown who was the midwife that was responsible for the delivery. So that is one of the shockers that we learned recently. That was always the tale that we knew of, but no, it was not my grandmother. Now, my mom, her information has always been the thing that has glued me 
that has you know kept me firm into my my practice and how I do things and how I go about it. Because my mom also, she got the calling when my grandma got sick, her mother got sick. My grandma was the woman who would have mint bush all covered around her. It was almost like wrapped around her house. She would also, she knew about the sassafras, so she was the herb woman. She was that woman, but when she got sick, my mother took care of her. She took care of her. The way she took care of her kept her here. She was not supposed to be here for more than two years, and she went to 10 years because of my mother. And I learned how to take care of the elderly and the sick Mm. by my mother. Her care, her understanding, she look at the patient. She look at the person first. So your mom is a healer. She was a healer. Would you say she was a healer? I would say she was, yes. She definitely healed her spirit before she left. So I got that part. Mm -hmm. And then understanding the herbs I took it even further my mom did not practice the herbs as far as the healing like she was sick she taught us how to you know get rid of a sore throat and things like that but when it comes down to like the heavier um uh sicknesses she wasn't exactly practicing that but she had the information she had the knowledge because of the elders telling her about certain plants and what they do. But she passed it on to me instead of using it herself. And with that, I became the the knowledge dweller. I was the one that wanted to know everything. I was the one that wanted to take that more than just hearing. I wanted to practice it. And that's what I did. And that's how I became successful with her. You were a good student. Did any other elders recognize like, whoa, Jalen's interested. Come out in the woods with me. Did you, were you able to work with any other elders in Orangeburg County? I wasn't. I was not, um, unfortunately. Now, I did have my mom's sister who taught me how to can things. Yes, we would go and can. Oh, she had, she had like these barrels of peaches. There was the, the common American peach and then there was the the white peaches. So she taught me how to can. I didn't realize, but the white peaches required a little more love because I don't think they were the native peaches and because of their flesh and because of their I guess fragility, I had to go about it a different way, but I learned through her. So I learned through my mom's sisters on how to make certain traditional dishes that we cooked, as well as my mom, who taught me eventually later on down the line. But when it came to some of the medicine and the understanding, I had the knowledge of my uncles as well, because my uncles used to fish in Buford. So that understanding of how the tires run taught me a lot about just how to forage as well, especially when I'm foraging by the water. 
So I, I use all of that as well. Who taught you how to make wine? <laughs> did you teach yourself? <laughs> okay. You know Miss Emma Maggett from oh. Edisto Island? Did she write a book? She did wrote a book. Yes, yes, yes. I was listening to about her on um, OM Radio, about how she was called to feed people. And I yes. feel like, yeah. Her book was written by Trelawney Michelle. And I learned through Miss Emily's daughter. Wow. Yes, she taught me and I learned. I got connected through her through Chef BJ Dennis. With all these different little connections that helped me learn that I learned her formula. I learned her methods. And then I just used some of my own uh, practices and just kind of made it my own. But her foundation is her own formula is the foundation. The first one that I made was the jelly palm wine. I've always wanted to learn how to make wine. That one was a very good wine because the sugar and the acidity content made it a very heady type wine, very potent. Mm -hmm. Cloudy wine, yes, but potent. From the palm? Yes. Wow. From the fruit or from like the heart of the palm? The fruit. The fruit. Yeah, I was listening one day to Ohm Radio and Emma was, it was an interview, like an old interview, because it was near when she passed away. And she was talking about how she would intuitively know someone needed food. Like she could feel that someone needed food and she would get her, she would make large pots of food all the time and she'd get the food and take it to him. And she healed the community with her food. And I just thought it was so beautiful. I definitely want to get her cookbook. She was a blessing. The Big first one that I learned was her, Miss Emily Maggett, she learned how to make wine from her mother. Yes. And yeah. they used to make the wine for communion. The wine that they made was cherry wine. And they made it from the wild cherries we grow here. Wow. So those little tiny little cherries that we see. Yes. I'm pretty much sure y'all have them in, in Charleston, the little tiny little cherries. The, Carolina- the wild black cherries. Wow. Yeah, the wild black cherries that grow. Yeah. That's the kind that she used to make. So I have one now that I have that's dedicated homage to her, but... I'm fermenting that now, and it's made from those wild black cherries. And I'm going to give it to her daughter, because her daughter, the one that taught me, give it to her. That's such a blessing. Yeah, that's awesome. Reciprocity. Yeah, her her spirit and giving was definitely contagious, for sure. Uh, Do you feel, you know, talking about elders and their knowledge and the depth and wisdom and the experience that they lived and that connection to the land, do you feel that as the elders are passing, the Gullah elders are passing, that a lot of the knowledge on wild herbs is being lost? I do feel like it is being lost. That's the saying when an old, they say when an old man dies, but when an old person dies, when, when someone of 
elderly age dies, you know, a library burns to the ground. And I think that saying is true because it's just people are filled with knowledge. When I used to go to service, I had this man, my uncle, he told me that if they was to build and stack on how much we know, it'd be as tall as the Empire State Building. So that alone is truly like a library's worth of knowledge. So when a person like that, who's that age, leaves, you don't get a chance to pick their brain Mm-mm. and see what they know and see if it co-matches what you know. And if it don't, then you have to learn or put yourself in a position where you want to learn and take that with you so that way it doesn't get lost. Mm-hmm. So when that person does leave, we cheat ourselves in a way. It seems like the human connection is lost a little bit too, right? Because we're so busy in modern society and we have more stuff to do and we're out working. And, and the, I'm sure, I don't know, that maybe there was more connectivity too in the past, a human connection. So stories could be passed on. I'm sure in some of the sea islands, there's still that connection. Do you feel that your generation and the younger generation want to learn that there's a increasing um, desire to learn wild herbs? I think someone told me one time, they said that in order for people to like want to progress or, you know, make change, they have to see a younger person move like an elder. Mm. So I think now there are a lot of people who want to learn. I get messages a lot about wanting to learn. They want to learn everything, every single thing from the basket to the wamekin. They want to learn. They just say, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. I see that all the time. I see that every time I post a video of me making a basket, they'll, I see them publicly asking me, <clears throat> and I'll see them come to my messages and ask me. When it comes to the medicine making, I see them want to learn too. People want to learn. People are aware now. Mm-hmm. I think that age of awareness did a number on people making them want to learn, especially when people get sick, people lose loved ones, they want to become better or stay around longer. I've, I feel too with Instagram and different, because that's how we were able to connect that that maybe lets the young people see you connecting with the wild herbs, you climbing the trees and collecting the fruit and collecting the leaves. And so that helps. It increases the visibility. It's like a double-edged sword. It pulls us away from nature because we're on our phones, but then it also inspires us to learn wild medicine. And do you feel, you know, because you're one of, you know, the few remaining, I feel like Gola medicine men, um, do you feel a responsibility to keep it alive and to keep that medicine alive and teach? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I be like, sometimes I have the, the idea, I guess, the mind frame that I work so hard to have this, I guess, confidence or so now that and understanding. So now that I do have it, why I teach it? Mm. Especially when I was like, persecuted for it. Now I'm getting praised for it. Why should I teach? 
And then I, I think more selfless starts. And I'll say that I realized the work that it did, how it has helped people. And then I realized if I was to leave, who else would do it? Yeah. And the joy it gives you. Because when you were teaching, when I witnessed you teaching, you were so happy. And you are a natural teacher. And I was like, holy crap, he's a teacher. Some people have that gift and some people don't. And I feel like that is the love coming through. But I understand why you would feel that way. Why you would maybe be like, no, I don't, you know, want to teach or yeah, you know, I do. Or maybe you're more selective on who you teach, which brings me to my next question. So a couple of times I asked, I don't know how we, what we were talking about, but you said, oh, I have to ask the elders if I can talk about that. And I don't remember specifically what I asked you, but is there a balance? Hopefully you'll teach some classes in the spring and summer, a balance between what you share with Gola traditional knowledge, you know, what is kept sacred and what you share publicly. I'm is still there- trying to... Um level it even to this day now i still get in trouble you get in trouble i'm not saying trouble i, I still get the right now you know oh <laughs> like I, a little um, bit like eyebrow raise like, hmm? yeah, like um for example if they see me like make the basket i'll sometimes have to like sometimes you may see me when i make a basket i'll go into the corner when I have to add more things or if I have to do a different show a technique so that way I don't um, display it. Because if I do, you know, it kind of like, it doesn't pay homage to the culture if I give it up. I can display me working to kind of like draw attention, but not as, as a tutorial. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference so sometimes I'll speed up my videos if I do if you ever notice I'll speed my videos up very fast or so that way I don't show every single thing but I do pay respect to the culture by letting them know that it's still going on it's still here because mm-hmm. that's the common misconception is that is a dying art mm-hmm. but it can't be dying if I'm still doing it, if a woman my age in Mount Pleasant is still doing it, and see other elders still, like, passing it along to their children. It's still here. It's just, I want to call it, like, a secret art, but almost like a secret society art, where it's kept in families, royal priests type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. Well, I hope when I reincarnate, I'm Gola. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And see, I learned now that because I used to, when I live on the island, I I, I asked a lot of questions when I was there because I wanted to know why, like, they don't speak the language anymore, like, out publicly and why um, the baskets aren't, like, taught. Like, you know, because I can't go on YouTube. I can't go on nowhere online and learn it. No one can. But it's because they was given so much grief for making or having to harvest. And as far as the language, they was ridiculed for it. So now you have to pay for it if you want to even see it. 
for respect for the the ones before us who suffered. And I understand that. And I now that I have I always have to know why. And once I know that I can understand. Yes, you can yeah, be a a a respectful, you know, keeper of the knowledge. And I love that about you, that you're mindful, you know, about of people in the community and your culture and how to honor your culture and keep the knowledge of wild herbs alive and basket sewing and wine making. And let's see what else do you do? I see you doing all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, you, that knowledge is so important, that ancestral cultural knowledge and to keep it alive. So there have been a couple of times I know you you voiced wanting to stop foraging because I know there was a time when you were like, no, I'm not going to forage anymore. And then you started again. Maybe you can talk to us about the struggles that you face being an African-American, being a black man foraging in the woods and how you've overcome that. And so Jalen yes. was harassed, discriminated against. So can you tell the listeners maybe a little bit about that experience and how overcame the fear because you overcame it because you're still foraging oh it was i remember the first time that happened it was just <laughs> i think i was so blind to what was going on because the police just passed by at first and i waved <laughs> i just waved as i kept on collecting elder it was red elder flower too so you know i I was, I think I was more interested in that than him because I never seen the Red Elder. So I harvest only a little bit of that because I wanted to see the actual berries. So he wasn't, wasn't even important. He passed by and then when he came back, he stopped. And I was like, okay. That's when he asked me a question. What was I doing and into the woods? And so... And basically, um, he tried to find an excuse and say that a child saw me there um, doing something I wasn't supposed to. I so said I was harvesting. So, you know, harvesting in a land that doesn't belong to no one. So with that, he drove, he had another car because they tried to accuse me of um, urinating into the woods, exposing myself into the woods. And I said, no. <laughs> not when my job is right there and I just got off work. If I had to go to the bathroom, I would have went up there. So they would reach in to find a reason to um to arrest me. Wish they couldn't. I had a whole video of the time I went out there because, you know, I like to record. That's why I record in the first part. People think I, I used to record just to show every little thing, but I had to record because I know the times we were living in. I used to do the riots in 2016 in Charlotte, the civil unrest downtown. I used, I was a part of that, mm. so I knew already like what could happen and what did happen in the past and what is happening now. So that's why I always record. So mm. I had the film of the entire time, so they knew they could not do nothing. So that's when they walked all the way to 
the gate where the children were, which was a very far distance because I was nowhere near them. By the time he got back, he had a whole different demeanor and a whole different story. Now, apparently, the children didn't see anything and that they were just doing their job. So I didn't take that well because I knew the harassment. I knew when they had other cars, because it was like four cars at this point, when they had that, I knew what their intentions were. And from then on there, because that's when I called them. I called their, their, their I guess you would call them their, their chief, and I made the complaint. I told mm-hmm. them I was going to do that. I took the pictures of them and everything, and it upset them so much that when I came back, they, the field, I'm not going to say it was them, but when I came back, all of a sudden, the red elder field was chopped down. And that happened the next time I had that altercation, well, you know, a situation with them. So that was always the pattern. The fields would get cut down. Yeah, that that is really unfortunate. And I, I mean... You know, I put myself in your shoes and I could imagine how scary, you know, it has to be sometimes a forage out in the woods, you know, especially when you're by yourself. And I'm glad that you shared that, you know, on your page. And I try to share it on my Facebook page because I don't have to face that. And so being someone who forages and loves to be out in nature it hit me hard because I was like, whew, like imagine what that would feel like just to be out there doing that and then have cop cars pull up on you. Um, And so, and then I was scared. I was like, gosh, I hope Jalen doesn't stop because like I could see how fear, the fear would maybe, and, and just even just frustration, not even just fear, but like um, could make someone not want to go back out. So I applaud you for going back out and I applaud you for sharing that. And I'm glad that we're able to share it again through this podcast because it's so important for us to um, realize that, yeah, discrimination exists. And I hope that we can decrease discrimination, lessen discrimination with future generations by, by, you know, normalizing foraging for all colors and all people um all races yes i took a break for a little bit but i always had a reason to go back someone i love would get sick one time it was my son next time it was my cousin down my cousin's um which is my cousin of course but (laughs) down in bamberg they had to come all the way up here and i had to gather something for them so it was always because of a, a child always because of a baby and I always can't sell a baby no I I just can't I can't do it so that will be the thing that always bring me back I've had my medicine bag stolen twice I've had my which had all my tea and my herbs and even a little small blender had that in there I've had some of the herbs be sprayed with chemicals so that became like a biological warfare to me. So I, that really was a thing to scare me. So I kind of just 
go into deep pockets of the woods where I can't be seen now mm. and harvest. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it makes sense. Do you think that there's anything that as a community, you know, of foragers and medicine people um, that we can do to make that less common discrimination? I've been thinking about it for a while and I still haven't. I don't know. I do know that it should be normal. It should mm -hmm. be common to go to nature first. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And I hope that you don't have to face discrimination in that part of Colombia. I hope that you, by you contacting the chief, that they know like, oh, that's Jalen. He's foraging, right? And I feel like by you doing that, you're helping future generations because you're showing that like, yeah, we're like, I'm out here foraging. I'm not out here causing any harm. And so other people behind you can do that maybe with a little less fear. That would be what we could hope for. So one time going back to Orangeburg County, one time I was in Orangeburg County and there was an elder there, a gullet elder, and I was out there surveying this rare plant. Kara, surveying the rare plant. Yeah, gosh, I almost forgot the name of it. I was out there surveying this plant, Cambys dropwort, Oxypolis cambii. And there's this beautiful Gullah elder, and he had all the life everlasting, and all the people in the community were coming to him for life everlasting. And someone said to me when I was wow. out there, yeah, I would love, I, I need to see. So the name of this um, plantation is called Oakland Plantation, and it's been burned with fire, managed with fire for 100 plus years. And there's all these rare plants out there. And the plant diversity is through the roof. And... Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service helped them get a conservation easement so the land will never be able to be developed. And the, one of the men that helped take care of the land was an Agola elder. And so I was able to meet him. And he had all the life everlasting. And someone said, while we were talking, like, you can't drive with that, though. Like, it's illegal to have it in your car. And so I wonder how that came about, that saying that driving or carrying or transporting life everlasting was illegal. Have you heard that in the community? Yes. Uh, according to my understanding, it used to be illegal. It used to be illegal um, because they knew that people could smoke it and could get like a sedative feeling from it, like kind of like a high from it. Um, the Native Americans, I can't remember what, called, what tribe, but they used to smoke it for toothache relief. I do as well, because it can relieve a toothache, surprisingly. Now, today, it's not illegal. I think, I don't know when it left, but now it's not illegal. I walk with big, I think one day when you was driving in Columbia, you passed and you saw me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I had a big bundle of Life Everlasting. Yeah, you had a huge bundle. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I was like, I don't know if I was communicating with you. I can't remember. I was thinking about you. And then I'm like driving 65, 70 miles per hour. And I saw you on the highway. I was like, what? And yeah, you had that huge, not on the highway, but you were off the highway, like in the community foraging. So so those of you who are listening, who haven't heard of Life Everlasting, Life Everlasting is, I would say, the most sacred plant to the Gullah Geechee community. And 
it just, I mean, you think about the name Life Everlasting, but do you remember the first time that you saw or connected with Life Everlasting? I do. I do. I didn't realize that it was always around me, but I remember being in Charleston at one of my elders' house, and he had the plane. He had it in a Ziploc bag, and then when he, he came, he brought the plane to me, and he opened the plane and told me to smell it. And the first thing I thought about was maple syrup. <laughs> and he told me how he used the plant and how the plant helps him, and he told me he smokes the plant sometimes. He, he didn't tell me he smoked the plant. He told me that he burnt the plant one day, you know, just for, I guess, smudging purposes. And he inhaled it, and he started laughing, and he didn't realize, but he caught, like, a little high from it. <laughs> and I started laughing. That was my first understanding of just the power of it and how that people do burn the plant. And I wonder if, like, the Native Americans, if they get the sensation when they burn it. Now, when I harvest the plant, I remember walking, walking in up Columbia Hill, and that's when I first saw the plant for myself. That was a while back now, but I saw the plant, and it's always, I think I tell you this all the time, but it, and it sounds probably so cliche or corny, but it's always the wind that helps me recognize it. Mm. The wind blew a certain way to kind of, not say peel back the other plants, but it, it definitely drew them back and it let that one stand out. All I had to do was run my finger across it. And when I smell my fingertips, I knew that was the plant. But then now looking at it now, I, look, I realized that it was the wind mm. that brought it to um, my eye, like yeah. it do. I love that. So the wind will rustle the leaves of certain plants and it will catch your eye and then you know that that is a plant that you may need to work with? Yeah, sometimes the other plants are too tall or it, it covers up that plant that I need to see. And when the wind blows, it sometimes moves those other plants out of the way and it exposes that one. And there's oftentimes it's something I need. There you know it. So can you tell the listeners what is Life Everlasting and how you connect with it? Life Everlasting is one of the plants that we use for the respiratory system. It's an all-purpose plant. We use it for colds, flus. It's good for the heart because it's good for the mouth. It's good for the oral health. We use it for a mouthwash. You can use it for baths good for sores, good for skin. But we mostly use it for this cold and flu season. But the elders, we drink it. The elders, not we, because I'm not an elder. The elder, they drink it every day. And it ensures long life. So it's called life everlasting for a plethora of reasons. One reason is for it gives you longevity for its long life, and it gives you it slows down the ravaging of aging. So like a turtle, you'll, you know, you won't age as fast. When you store it, it lasts a long time. It can last forever if you store it in a dark, cool place. So 
that's another thing about the name Everlasting. It can last forever if you store it properly. That plan has to the way the way that I was raised, the way that we used it, um the plan has to Hmm, how, how, how do I word this? When we make the plant, when we boil the plant, it's dark, <clears throat> murky. But I know that sometimes people don't like that as flavor, that bitter flavor. It has to be very bitter in order for it to work of, effectively, for the medicinal properties to be there. Of course, if you boil it a little bit, you'll still get some additional properties, but to get all of it, to bleed it all out, you have to boil it down. I noticed that is done, you know, in our culture, cook things down. But yeah, that's my favorite plant. I can get plants. I know it used to be 66. I believe I'm now at 75 plants around the Lens slash low country area that I work with in South Carolina. But out of all of those, that one is my favorite. Mm, I love it. And do you harvest it when <clears throat> it's died back, when it's brown? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I remember talking to you about that because um, I know that some people don't harvest it when it has um, turned brown. Some people harvest it when it's green, a little more green. And now I understand why, you know, because of the, the, the profile and taste. But I'm pretty sure you're still getting the same medicinal properties. You just may have to drink a little more. Mm-hmm. But it's probably similar to drinking the Pennsylvania cut wheat. It's a little more smooth as opposed to being, er, you know, stabbing. The taste. Yeah, I have that cudweed, the different cudweed growing in my yard, and I haven't worked with it yet. I and love it. Do you love it? I need to try oh, yes. it. It's it's cute. It's it, you know, it's got that it's hugged <laughs> the earth a little bit more. Um yes. but I I did harvest life everlasting one time when it was still kind of green, and then once when it died back and I made the tea, and the tea that did that had, you know, died back or the life everlasting that had died back was more bitter. And so I was like, okay, there is definitely something to letting it die back. And I, I think that's amazing because it's an annual. So then you make sure all of its seeds have spread, you know, too, before you harvest it. That is the thing. I often see little specks and I'm thinking that might be the seeds when I pop, you know, when I take the plant and all the specks just fly away. I'm thinking those would be the seeds because I think, Nothing is going to grow back in that area and something always goes back. Yeah, the little tiny black seeds. And one time I was um, connecting with someone in the community, I forget their name, and they were, I was laughing because I was trying to get Life Everlasting to grow in my yard. And I was like, I put a bunch in this garden bed, but it didn't come up in the garden bed. It came right up. It came up outside of it, you know, and, and the cracks and the crevices. And he was like, yeah, life everlasting doesn't like to be cultivated. It's wild. It wants to stay wild. And I just thought that was so funny. It wants to be a wild, wild plant. And then my daughter spread a bunch of seeds around my house, you know, with her little fairy spirit and her positive energy. And so many came up. 
And I thought that was really funny that like, here I am, I'm putting some seeds in a garden bed and hardly any came up. And then you just take it and you spin around <laughs> like 10 times having a lot of fun. And then all of hers came up and I was like, yes, life everlasting definitely has a wild spirit. Um, why do you think the connection with life everlasting has stood the test of time? You know, where some of these herbs have been forgotten about. You work with Smilax, I think you call it Cheney Root, and that one has been forgot about by a lot of people. But Life Everlasting, not so much. Like a lot of people, Golagichi people work with this herb. And so I don't know if you have any thoughts on why you think it stood the test of time. It's our coffee. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind because I don't want to say, you know, be sexist and say the, the men, but the men drink it. They don't mind drinking it, like especially like a lot of the elders in, in the island parts, they don't mind drinking it. I love it. They add a little whiskey sometimes in it, you know, but they don't mind drinking it. Now the women drink it as well too because they get excited. I had a a class in John's Island, and I brought a nice amount of life everlasting because I was giving it to a man there. But before I could even give it to him, my Uber driver, she saw it. She was a, a older woman, a, a Gullah woman. She said, I don't mean to get into your business, man, sir, but is that life everlasting? You know, it's illegal. I said, yes, ma'am. And then as soon as I was about to get out of the car, she was like, um, she asked me, am I... um." Am I giving it up? You know, can she get some? Can I, can she purchase some? I said, well, yes, you can <laughs> purchase some. And that kept happening. So I had to go out into the field and harvest him some more life everlasting because she took a good bit of the one I brought home. But I didn't mind because I know that I can just get it like that. I can go, I know where it grows. I know where the tall one grows. I know where the short, stubby one grows, so I can get it anywhere. That's awesome. And it was the time of life everlasting, so it, it meant nothing to just give up that because I know I was going to be coming home with more after giving more away as well that I harvest. So I harvest life everlasting almost every day, twice out of the day while I was there in Charleston for the Gullah Geechee Herbal Gathering. Oh, I love that. I I know that um that was a fun conference or a fun gathering. It was amazing. It was. I definitely want to go next year. Hope I'm sure you'll be invited back next year. They are they asked me the second day. Oh, I love it. I love I'm it. Serious. That's awesome. So will you be teaching any classes, any foraging walks this spring in the in South Carolina? I don't know. I said that I was I was done teaching because I was wanted to I wanted to kind of like quote unquote go on tour with it, kind of like go to different places and have presentations. I liked that better. It was more fun being invited places. I have my next well, my next for sure one is in May. I'm going back to the Penn Center, which is a joy for me because I love Buford. Buford and Orangeburg 
some of my top places in South Carolina for no region or area as far as medicine. The medicinal properties are just high in those areas, Buford and Orangeburg. Bamberg as well too. But just these little nooks, those little small those little places I like going to. So I know for sure I'm gonna be doing something there, but springtime, I don't know. I know I I have been doing it every spring. So I don't know if I'm ready to give that up and not do it this spring. It's something nice about opening up during the my new year, at least I call it for myself. I call it spring and new year. So I like to open up the new year with doing something positive, doing something nice. A class is always a good thing. It excites me. Yes, yeah. It always makes me nervous. Yeah, I don't know. But that first two hours before, I'm a wreck. <laughs> I'm a wreck. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to tell. I mean, the class I did with you was amazing. <sighs> and the amount you shared with us was very special. And all the medicine, that was probably my favorite part, was the show and tell with the medicine. Um, all your concoctions and decoctions and all that <laughs> stuff was awesome. What is the best way for people to connect with you? I know I'm definitely, I'm always on Instagram. I'm always, that's where I receive the most um, interactive interaction from is Instagram. So that's a good way to reach out to me. Facebook is also, but Instagram is I think best. So J is J A Y Y I Z M on Instagram is the best way to reach me. That's the best start to reaching me, you know. And from there you can get my number that, that way. Well, thank you so much for being on the Wild Herb podcast. And I couldn't think of a better person to interview. And definitely, I highly recommend going on Instagram and following Jalen because he is always, um, I don't know, I'm almost living vicariously through some of your adventures in the woods. I'm like, oh, climbing this tree, doing this, harvesting this plant. So definitely check him out and stay connected. And if you're in South Carolina, definitely try and join one of his foraging walks. And thanks again, Jalen. And hopefully I'll get to see you in 2024. Thank you for bringing me here. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Please share with a friend, follow, give us a good rating, and keep your eyes open for Medical Botany 1. It is my favorite course to teach, and registration opens January 29th, and the course starts February 13th. I hope to see you in there. Many blessings.